1: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com/trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.
2: G A L D
3: I M G A L D I
4: M This one is good.
3: Welcome to a brand new season of growing up with Galdem. Inspired by our book I Will Not Be Erased, our stories about growing up as people of color.
4: My name is Nayala Arboyne and I'm the Life Editor at Galdem. And
3: I'm Natty Kasimvala, former editor and longtime contributor at Galdem.
4: Galdem is an award-winning media company committed to sharing the perspectives of people of colour from marginalised genders. Each week, we invite a guest to respond to old diary entries, letters or text messages from their younger selves. The point is to nurture important discussions about growing up.
3: You can find Growing Up With Gaudem on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Papa Essiedu is a Ghanaian British actor. Since graduating from the Guildhall School of Music and Drama, Papa has firmly cemented himself as a shining light within the British acting landscape. Working across film, TV and theatre, Papa kicked off 2022 with a return to the stage in a number. The Old Vic production brought in four and five star reviews across the board, with his performance being pulled out as a highlight. The production, directed by Lindsay Turner and starring Papa opposite Lenny James, has been nominated for an Olivier Award. The London-born actor has earned himself many prolific award nominations, including an Emmy nomination and a BAFTA TV Best Supporting Action nomination, for his breakout performance as Kwame in Michaela Cole's era-defining I May Destroy You an unflinching and frank series exploring the issues around sexual consent. The Lazarus Project is his latest small screen appearance. The eight part Sky One thriller will see Papa playing George, a man who keeps reliving the same day repeatedly after witnessing the end of
4: the world. The series will be out in April. It is great to have you on the show today. I know you've just finished a number and we actually spoke about that kind of recently for another Galdem article. And, you know, Galdem is still taking credit for you and Lenny coming together (laughs) at the Old Vic finally. How are you feeling?
5: Yeah, Galdem were really doing up Hinge, doing up like actor Tinder there. Hooking us up there. Yeah, so we finished the play maybe a week and a half ago or maybe even two weeks. It feels like a long time now because when you're in it, you're so in it. But yeah, I feel very sad in many ways. I was meant to be having dinner with Lenny last night to debrief, but one of his daughters just tested positive for COVID, so... He's freaking out. But it was a very, very, very special experience. And he's a special guy, as I'm sure you kind of gleaned from the time that you spent asking him questions. Our interview was basically you asking questions and me watching him answer the questions very well.
4: It was really cute. You could really see your guys' like <laughs> friendship and you just bounced off each other. Yeah. And yeah, we're happy that we were able to facilitate that.
5: Hey, hey, hey. Where would we be without you? <laughs> it's good to see you again, though.
4: And you. How was the final show and kind of ending it all? And how was the last show?
5: final show was quite emotional. I was physically in quite a complicated space. I didn't have COVID, but I had something that was, let's say, COVID adjacent. I don't know what it was, but like, you know them ones where like, every time you lie down to try and go and sleep, you cough as if like you're really trying to purge spirits from your body. I had like one of them ones. (laughs) <laughs> so I have to say Lenny look I haven't got COVID we're all testing very regularly but I got Sank but they can't cancel the show for this Sank so just like make sure you um, you stay wary so yeah so I was feeling kind of way like that but it was yeah it was really it was really emotional and it was hard and tough because it's not very often that you find yourself in a position where you're involved in a project that means a lot to you on a personal level on a creative level on an intellectual level on a professional level, you know, there, there, were, there were a lot of, I suppose, grooves that fit in a very kind of symbiotic way. And yeah, it's not often, it's like usually when it comes to the end of a job, be it a shooting job or a play, I'm pretty emotionally stony. So I'm like, OK, it's the last day. OK, good. What's the next one? But with this one, like, I had to kind of like really take a second to think and feel what was happening and to kind of acknowledge that it was something that felt different from other jobs. So it was a lot.
4: Well, it was incredible. So, congratulations! Thank you that. so
5: much. When did you come?
4: I came probably the opening week. I'd right, say, right,
5: right.
4: yeah. And then some of the other staff came a few weeks afterwards, and everybody loved it.
5: Did you have any thoughts about it? Did it make you think about nature versus nurture, your your family, or?
4: <laughs> yeah, I was triggered. <laughs> yeah, it made me... <laughs> Yeah, even though it's about cloning, seeing yeah a black father and a black son, it did definitely bring up feelings around fatherhood which i got from a lot of other people i know who saw it as well yeah definitely a bit of nature and nurture
5: yeah yeah i hope not too traumatizing
4: it was a good trigger
5: (laughs) it's not often you hear about those good triggers i don't think that's
4: the thing i'm just saying that (laughs) to bounce it away from me now Okay, so
3: I wanted to ask a question because I've always been curious about, I guess, actors who are simultaneously kind of across all of these different mediums from film and TV and theatre. Do you have like any different rituals when it comes to preparing for different mediums or any ways that you navigate through the different spaces that like differentiate them from each other? Or do you feel like it's all kind of the same kind of process?
5: Yeah, I mean, it's same, same, but different. So obviously with stage stuff you spend a lot more time rehearsing you spend a lot more time sitting around drinking tea and biscuits talking about talking the things whereas in screen often like you've got to wake up at 5 a.m you turn up on set at 7 a.m you just gotta spend like hours and hours and hours producing what will end up being about probably two minutes of actual screen time. So it's a very different kind of medium, even though the central ask is the same in terms of like reproducing something that feels truthful and authentic. I always thought that I wasn't really that superstitious or whatever, but it turns out that I'm a bit of a freak. When I spoke to some of the, when I was talking to Lenny about it, actually, I never get into costume, for example, until like a minute before we're about to go on stage. So there's this thing called a half. So thirty-five minutes before the play goes up, the stage manager calls on a tannoy that goes around the whole backstage of the theatre. This is your half-hour call. You have half an hour before the play starts. That's when people generally start getting ready. You know, putting their clothes on, putting their costumes on, makeup, whatever. I hate doing that because like I don't want to be in that character's skin or in that character's whatever. Really, much longer then is actually required cuz i feel like if i am then something might get wasted or i might do something that will be useful for the actual show before the show has started and i might miss out on saying so i spend that half hour <laughs> doing so much nonsense like walking up and down like talking to people annoying people like Anything that can kind of distract from the actual task at hand. So and I kind of always thought that was kind of normal until once I was like going into Lenny's dressing room and he was like, bruv, I'm trying to get ready. Get out of here. What are you doing?
3: <laughs> He's like in the
5: zone. He's in the <laughs> and you're zone. You're just like
3: running around. Oh my god, yeah. interesting.
5: Doing that. Huh. So yeah. But obviously you can't do that really with uh TV because Or film because the scenes take so long and you're doing it for such a long period of time it wouldn't make sense to take your costume off every time your character wasn't speaking or every time you weren't doing a scene so it's different in that sense.
3: Interesting yeah I guess it makes sense though right because if you're like in costume and you're just like having a cup of tea in the dressing room and then you have to kind of switch it on at least the costume is like that final like switch before you go on stage to kind of get into
5: I like that as a kind of ritualistic thing of like the costumes on and now we're on stage as opposed to kind of like wallowing in, in that too much. But yeah. Yeah, it's obviously it's different strokes for different folks. Some people Yeah, are like yeah, fully exactly. So they're like in costume all day, every day. Those ones scare you know? me. Yeah. <laughs>
4: Scary.
5: Yeah, yeah. I'm not I'm not making no one carry me from the tea from the T station to the set.
3: And do you ever feel like the different mediums give you different things as an actor as well?
5: Yeah. I mean, with theatre, there's always saying about, I mean, with both mediums, actually, but like you really feel it with theatre, the fact that like nothing is completed in its totality without the person that's receiving it or the people that are receiving it, you know. So you could be in a rehearsal room even just you and the other actors and the director and the stage management team, you could be doing the play and you could really, really feel like you are smashing it, like you are like setting the thing alight. But it's completely pointless. It doesn't mean anything. And it actually isn't the play. Because it will always change when it comes into contact with an audience, other people, other people's experiences. That an audience collectively brings its own energy and its own set of tensions that completes the play i think the same is true in terms of like content that you create in different mediums like be it radio or television or screen but you're just not there to witness the response unless you're like following the live tweet or whatever but like do you know what i mean it's different that's why it also always feels different when you're watching a film that you're in with other people that's a very weird feeling you can you can feel people's response to it but yeah there's something about like i don't think this kind of like This particular art form exists in isolation. It only gets completed when it gets met by the people that are, let's not say consuming it, but sharing in it.
4: Mm, Very philosophical, very deep, Mm, very interesting. (laughs) I've fully seen the same play twice and had Mm. two different experiences because of the audience and who I was sitting by. So, yeah, it's never the same.
5: Me and Lenny had these mates that came and watched it, and these two women, who it was like they'd seen two different plays. Mm. One of them was like the plays about like families and what families do to each other, and particularly black families and the expectations of black men and black fathers, etc. And one of them was like, this is a play about, this is science fiction. This is a play about clones and what would happen. <laughs> and this is why we do know these clone people and they both liked it, mm. but for completely different reasons. Completely different reasons. So I suppose our responses are completely valid as well and important for us in terms of our understanding. It helps us learn more about what we're doing as well. So, yeah, it's a bit of a weird one, but I think it's it's slightly different between TV and, and, and stage.
4: Something important you pointed out is that even though we're seeing more black faces on stage, backstage is still looking pretty white. What are the differences you've experienced working with Black and POC-led backstage crews?
5: Well, you know what? I spoke about it a lot at the kind of like nascent point of like the genesis point of this particular production because like I've had certain experiences at that particular theatre before that have not been pleasant and have been literally correlated to the fact that I'm Black or the fact that I'm a Black man or the fact that whatever. Like, so I was kind of like hesitant if not reticent, to kind of do do work at this particular theatre. They had been dragged publicly online because of their kind of lack of representation at board level, lack of representation in terms of the plays that they had done and lead actors and actresses that had been in them without even going into what their kind of like backstage makeup was. And at these times, I was like trying to explain it to the management team. And I was like, it feels like sometimes when you're performing in those plays or when you're taking part in those plays, it feels a bit like a human zoo. You know, it feels like you feel very much observed but not in the way that you're actually signing up to do, or not in the way that you're being paid to do. Like obviously, there the, there's an element of being observed as, as being an actor. But this is what I mean by mm. it has to be like a mutual experience. It needs to be like there the needs to be a symbiosis to to the thing. Whereas there've been. Things that I've done in the past where it fit, where I felt kind of like very isolated and very scrutinized, which is a really difficult kind of position to find yourself in. And that comes both from the work that is done in terms of audience development and audience accessibility, but also in terms of who's involved in the making of the show. Because, like, yeah, we go and see a show, and it's just the actors that are on the stage, but there's so many people go. So much expertise is required to make a show a show, be it in costume, in makeup, in crew in assistant directing and sound lighting etc etc and all the most exciting projects that i've ever been a part of both on stage and on screen there's been a real sense of group ownership and i was really keen to do that with this show so the listened to that and provided money to kind of provide paid placements for young black and brown people to work in those departments and to contribute in a meaningful way to the making of our show as well as kind of like having an awareness of things that they needed to change in the makeup of the permanent staff members that were working on our show behind the scene. And that's kind of what I mean when I say like, this one was a really hard one to leave, to walk away from at the end of it, because it had that sense of group ownership. It had that sense of we were all doing this for a reason that was more than let's just do a good play that people are going to say had five stars at the end. It w- it was more about like, Oh wow. Like theater may not be for everyone, but can be for many, many people. And We can play a big part in platforming that.
3: That's incredible. I didn't know that about the placements as well. In I May Destroy You, you play a Kwame, who is a black queer man who is a victim of sexual assault. And you recently unpacked how, you know, that there isn't always space for black men when it comes to being a victim of a crime. They're often just kind of portrayed as the perpetrators, which I think is such an interesting kind of layer of nuance to like conversations about representation and what it actually means. I wanted to hear a bit more about how you approach a character like that as one of the kind of, you know, kind of just unpacking what it is to really like be vulnerable in that way. And to I think you mentioned in the same piece, like the reaction and the response to Kwame is one of, you know, humiliation and all of these other things. Were you conscious of the kind of weight that that role held in that respect and then with the added level of like homophobia on top, like just I want to hear a bit more about the process of crafting such an important nuanced character.
5: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that was the kind of focus from the jump. Like how do we make this a nuanced layered three-dimensional man? Do you know what I mean? Because I feel we've always got to shout out Michaela because like, she writes down the character on the page and, like, or at least, like, what how the character started on the page. And her mind works in such an empathetic, detailed, specific way that it would never... She would never imagine someone who was generalised or stereotyped or, you know, something that has come from a box. But, like, the work is then met, met there to find someone that felt real and to kind of, like, enter into what he experiences over the course of the show with respect, honouring it and having to focus on the authenticity of it. And it's hard because what he goes through is so difficult. And also maybe it's not something that a lot of people that watch it have got experience at least having discourse around, if not even like witnessing it with their eyes. So therefore it feels like the pressure is on because like for a lot of people, this is the first time they're, Kind of like confronting their own thoughts or questions about the themes and the events that we're talking about in the show, of which is the reality for many, 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 many people. So I suppose the focus was always on how to do that with kindness to ourselves, but like with kind of like respect and courage with the storytelling. And yeah, for me, like there was a lot of conversation, there was a lot of work, there was a lot of consultation. But then kind of like it was just about, yeah, I suppose going for it and and not holding back. And with Kwame, like there were so many things that I loved about him or love about him. And there are so many, you know, joyous, exuberant, vibrant aspects of his character that I felt it was really important to allow those to come through or shine through, especially in like his relationships with the two goals, the two central goals in the play in order to kind of like provide good context for the antithesis of that which we find in certain other moments of the play that kind of of the show that kind of allows you to have a bit more of a well-rounded idea of what his experience is and also like look we're only looking at him at a certain point in his life if we were to go on for another 12 episodes in before or after you've got a whole Other gamut of things that we could explore. But in the limited time that we had, yeah, I felt really privileged to be given the opportunity to, yeah, represent that man. Mm,
4: I would say Kwame's character was blowing up on my group chat, almost ended some friendships (laughs) 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 with that character. (laughs) Absolutely incredible. Yeah. And I guess, kind of lastly, in this part, I wanted to know do you think things are changing for black men, both? in the media or just generally from your perspective?
5: I mean, like, it's hard, you know, because, like, I so badly want to say yes and I want to say yes with my chest. And there are many things that, I have experienced that the generation before me wouldn't have experienced so many opportunities that I've had that generations before me haven't and generations after me are continuing to have more more than that so they're definitely I'd be remiss to say that it's been exactly the same but I think the thing that really does sadden me is that there are certain things that we pretend have changed that haven't you know in terms of you know disproportionate targeting by the police or I mean in the last kind of month we've had I don't even want to kind of like give too much space to that story but I think you know what I'm talking about and it's so so traumatizing for obviously for that person but for us our community And for that to still, still be happening in such a graphic and like just that extreme way, you couldn't write it or if you wrote it, you wouldn't believe it. So I feel like things are changing, but way too many things are staying the same for me to feel optimistic. I can feel hopeful at times, but optimistic, I don't think is something that I can quite stretch to.
1: There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Many of
2: us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
3: We'd love to hear all about your extract now. <laughs> The dreaded part, the ah. but I am excited. <laughs> <laughs> that's why we're really here. For those who can't see, Papa is now very close to the screen, his head in his hands. Yeah, can you give us a little bit of context before you read just of like the date that's on here, what was going on at the time, and then...
5: You know what, I haven't even got it in front of me, but like, let me try and get, I think I sent it to somebody. In terms of like the context, so I was like 18 years old, I was kind of, I was raised by my mum, just me and my mum in East London in, so this is like 2009, I think. And kind of like, yeah, me and my mum were super, super, super tight, super close, kind of always together. Um, very, 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 very kind of... She's the biggest influence on my entire life. She's, like, my hero. She's the reason I do everything, you know? She's the reason I've ever, ever achieved anything. It's purely because of, of my mom. So, But these times, I was 18, 19, you know? And I really thought I was, like... I was ready to do the most, you know, I was like, I'm getting out of this place. I'm going traveling. I'm going as far away from this country as possible. I'm going to meet some new people. I'm going to show my mom, I'm a man now I can do my own washing and, blah 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 anyway, so like I think what we're reading right here is the are the words of a guy who's just like way too gassed about way too gassed about being um being a free man, you know I'm talking as if I'm being released from a twenty year stretch of site, but I think what we're also reading is someone who's like a little bit tentative about leaving uh, also like my mum at the time was quite ill, she actually ended like up passing away not that much longer after this, maybe like a year old or two years after this she had a long battle of cancer but she wasn't too too bad at these times but not too too well either so there's a kind of element of feeling that kind of way about leaving her but also feeling that I had the right to kind of live my own life so it's kind of double-edged I think but yeah let me try and find the extract because I think I kind of put it down really because I thought it was funny more than anything else because also, I never really wrote. I never really wrote. And I find it really, really? funny. No, 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 not really. And I re- I find it really funny reading it because I'm like, wow, did I really speak like that? Like, surely not. <coughs> surely not. But like...
3: This is what I was saying. It's such a quintessential, like, journal entry. Like, I love on, tra- on travels. It, it literally seems like a perfect diary <laughs> entry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
5: <laughs> but it, it's almost as if I'm, like, playing the part of someone who writes That's what diaries. we were saying.
4: It's got that feel to it. <laughs> Do you
5: know what I mean? It's like I've read someone, or I've read or seen somewhere that people write diaries and this is how they write them, so this <laughs> is how I'm going to write it myself. <laughs> Tracy B. <Beaker> thing. <laughs> I'm going to read day one. First day of June 2009. And so it begins... Mum woke me up at about 7am to clean the kitchen floor for her before I left. I wasn't too bothered. I was too excited to sleep anyway. I went to Guildhall in the morning to sort out my accommodation before leaving home to put the finishing touches to my packing. I didn't leave home till about midday, which was bad, seeing as my flight left Heathrow at three o'clock. After a very panicky tube journey, delays on the Victoria Line standard, checked in about 20 minutes before the deadline. I had a quick lunch with Mum before an emotional goodbye. Two gauges in passport control, leaving me just minutes to catch the flight. Picked up a cheeky bit of aftershave, though, in duty-free before sprinting to the gate. When I got there, there was a man being a dick about me only having a one-way ticket, but I got on eventually. I sat in between a loud oriental fellow and a slightly smelly lady. Good times. First flight was fairly decent. Watched Yes Man. Had two beers, which made me feel very sick, but survived. I got to Doha at midnight, was 33 degrees, got a bus to the terminal, did a quick transfer and was told I was being upgraded to business class for the journey to Singapore. Buzzing. Seats had bare leg room, gave me a sick goodie bag and could fully recline.
3: I really want to hear day two. (laughs) Wow.
5: (laughs) (laughs) The realest thing, when I read it back, I was like, wow, did I say that? When I saw, I was sat between a loud oriental fella. And I remember, I actually really, really strongly remember at the time thinking that that was the politically correct way of referring to someone who was of Southeast Asian origin. And looking back on it now, I was like, "Right, I must have really been walking around <laughs> the streets, kind of like banding that word about with full vim and vigor, being like, you're welcome. Yeah, I've done my reading. I've done my... And it's a lot to kind of cut, to look back at yourself and realize that, or kind of like have to accept that. I suppose me myself i have also been on my own journey in terms of like understanding other cultures and understanding uh, the history <coughs> behind you know language and how that's weaponized, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But like this is really looking at the abandon of an eighteen-year-old boy who didn't know any be- better, but.
4: Shows growth. Yeah, yeah day two. It's, it's quite we didn't even get to the bit where you dribbled on your shirt, which is my favourite bit.
5: Shall I read that bit? Is that in the next one? Oh, this next, to be fair, day two is very funny. Can I read day two? This is actually very sweet. Okay, day two, second of June 2009. Flight to Singapore was fairly uneventful. Business class was quite good, so just clutched. When I arrived at Singapore, I got a cab to Russian's uncle's house. It was really nice to see her after so long. Russian's sister Aisha was there as well. She's peng. Russian's hair looked very nice. <laughs> and she gave me a friendship bracelet, which I was buzzing about. Went for a stroll into town. Singapore wasn't really saying much. Came back and met her aunt and uncle. They were both really geeky, but really nice, which was cool. Rush's aunt kept asking me to come back to Singapore. Maybe she wants a piece of the pea dog <laughs> <laughs> Me and Arbord got a cab to the airport, checked in, and wasted about half an hour one of those foot massage things. That was good. We boarded the plane, Garuda Indonesia, Bay Airline, and I fell asleep straight away. Rush woke me up and I dribbled all over my shirt. It was embarrassing. We had sea airplane food and drank beers as we planned the week ahead. I'm really excited about Bali. So, this is really interesting because this was Russian, Russian's was like still a very good friend of mine. But at the time, she was like one of my best, best, best mates. But clearly, I was completely obsessed with her because mm. <laughs> the way I talk about her, her hair, like, her hair looks really nice. Wow, shout out to Aisha too. how shower Aisha! Because <laughs> she just got straight up, um, christened as Pen. But Russian's hair looked. Like, I just think it's very sweet. It's very sweet. I was clearly a very sweet boy who um, was it wasn't really wasn't ready to um, confront certain certain home home, home truths, but would write it in a diary. I mean, so, my favorite
3: bit was where you say Singapore wasn't really saying much. <laughs> You're like went for a walk, crossed the, the whole of Singapore. Well, <laughs> I'm done here. Not saying so much. The whole
5: country. <laughs>
4: I looked the whole outside country. wasn't for me <laughs> <laughs> yeah, could you tell us but yeah yeah, just yeah, gone. just kind of wanted to know a bit more about what your life was like then versus how it is now,
5: yeah, I think I was like a fairly Uncynical maybe a bit naive, pretty innocent minded lad do you know what I mean like I had like I think I was really really fortunate to be raised in the way that I was like my mom's like a Ghanaian single mother so uh noahala like, you know it was like very kind of disciplined but very 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 caring and very 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 present you know so I feel like she protected me from a lot of things that were kind of like guy and going on around in the area that I grew up in at that time which kind of allowed me to yeah have like a pretty kind of optimistic and hopeful viewpoint in life and I think that kind of comes through in in the writing that I just read out just now but like you know things were not always easy and yes I find it quite complicated to look back at that period of time because like I said that was a period just before I kind of like lost like one of the most important figures in my life so my life has very much got a before and after kind of axis that revolves around that event which kind of happened like yeah a year a year after this so that's what I mean by there's a bit of something basically changed in quite a big way after this time so it's kind of weird and nice but like yeah, it kind of feels like looking back at a person that's not really me now or a person that's kind of, or an opposite side to my character that that has just been through different things, I suppose. Do you
3: feel like there's still, like, a bit of the same papa there or that you've kind yeah, of for sure, for gained sure. some of it back over time?
5: No, no, I don't think it's a kind of, like, Jacqueline and Hyde type situation, mm-hmm. but, like... Big things happen, like, I think our our lives are like a succession of, like, big, significant things that happen that don't kind of, like, fully change you, but, like, I do believe in this thing of, like, things won't be the same again, you know, and I think that's okay, you know, certain things can happen, and we kind of, like, take that on in our bodies and our hearts and our souls and our minds And that informs the person that we kind of end up being as we move forward. But that is what growth is. You know, that's what you were talking about earlier on. Like That is what growth is. Like, we kind of, like, keep the scars and the tough experiences that we have. And as we grow forwards, it's how we figure out ways to deal with it or process it or, you know, end up coming to terms with it or loving ourselves for these things. But, yeah, I look back kind of, like, with fondness or... I'm a bit like, oh, that was, what a sweet queer, But there are big leaps that still need to be made by that young man in order for him to become who I am today.
3: I think that's one of the beautiful things about this kind of format is getting to see, like, oh, they hadn't yet learnt how to, you know, like, do this certain thing. Or, like, oh, it's interesting, this is me before this, and this is how I kind of have shifted. And especially happening at such a pivotal time, I guess, for you. I wanted to hear a bit more about the trip as well, just, like... Because I feel like we got day one, we got day two, we got these snippets, and then you're off. And I'm, um, you know, I'm left wanting more. So what else what <laughs> happened next on the trip? How was our bird? Like, what's I wanna hear more about
5: Arbord <laughs> and I spent a lot of time together in a very platonic way, which yeah, we were both okay. very comfortable with. <laughs> but yeah, we spent a lot of time together just by ourselves actually kind of like I think we're yeah we were in Indonesia for quite a long time maybe a month not really doing the kind of like Bali club 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 type things we spent a lot of time in like quite a lot of rural areas meeting people but mainly just like talking and yeah getting to know each other in a really intimate way in a way that I think is very beautiful I think that maybe we don't make as much time for as we get later on in life. But like, there's something about like that period of your life where like, you're so fascinated and excited about other people that you really, really, really go, will go into the minutiae <laughs> of why Kanye West's second album should have been track listed in this way rather than that way. You know, you really will get into it and spend like three hours talking about that. So yeah, that trip was that. And then it kind of like spiderwebbed out into a lot of different things. I met out with some other friends and I made some new friends and ended up going this, this, that, and another. But it's not particularly interesting to talk about, but it was quite a formative period in terms of like, that was the first like extended period of time that I spent away from my mum and spent kind of like on my own two feet, spending my own money, looking after myself, getting myself in and out of danger, etc., cetera, et cetera. And, I, and to be fair, I came back And I remember, I remember coming back. The first thing my mum did was, like, hurl me into the bath. And, like, (laughs) I remember the the shower that I took was, it was black, basically. And it's not even like I hadn't been washing myself, but it was just, like, there's a difference when, like, a woman like that starts scrubbing you with that sponge. It's like, it's bringing certain things off of you that, <laughs> so yeah, it was a really formative period in my life. And then that's when I ended up going to drama school and that was its own kind of thing. And then, yeah, losing people and learning things and, you know, really figuring out how to stand on my own two feet, kind of that journey, I uh, became in the real way on that holiday or on that, that travelling experience. <laughs> I really did that gap year. And that was like peak gap year times as well. <laughs> so that was like real gap year times.
4: <laughs> You've used the phrase fiercely know yourself in the past. Listening to you speak about your evolution and growth, what does that mean to you today?
5: Oh um, God, the things that I've said in the past, that, I, <laughs> that <laughs> I can't remember the context to you. To fiercely know yourself, I feel... That's a lifelong journey, and that's something that requires like conscious effort and attention. But especially as an actor, has got like unlimited rewards for doing it because having that curiosity and that, I suppose, desire to confront the difference between your fantasy or the image of what you think you are, or what you think you should be, and the reality of what you are and what you can be, and what it's okay to be, and what you'd like to be. I think is essential for you to then departure to playing characters or figuring out how to like understand these men and women and not judge them or not kind of say they're bad because of this or they're good because of that, like see them in their totality. I feel like you have to be able to fiercely do that yourself before you can, before you can do that. And it's just really hard. I just think it's really, really, really hard. I feel like there are so many obstacles um, that are put in the way of us being able to do that, and I feel like almost the world is set up for us not to be able to do that. It's very easy for us to put ourselves in boxes, and for us to stereotype ourselves, and for us to kind of like allow ourselves to be overcome by pigeonholes that people put us into. Yeah, I just think it's it's a noble endeavor, and it's really imp- I, I just find I, I find it really important.
3: Mm. And from a capitalist perspective as well, having the time to do so. <laughs> It's like to like unpack things you know I think there's definitely there's such a like culture of just swallow it and move on and like never interrogate or that's just the way I am or you know those kinds of myths we tell ourselves really interesting something that you said before as well I guess about that like what I loved about the extract and is that youth and that like openness and excitement for like life and also that little note where and maybe this is teenagers, you have like an openness to really express like every single thing that you were thinking and feeling. And I think that's like a really inspiring like aspect of looking back at these journals as well. It feels like there are walls that we build up over time as we get older. But I wanted to know what advice you would give to that kind of like open-hearted younger self, if you could tell him, you know, like just before he goes on this kind of quite pivotal journey in his life. What would you say to him if you could?
5: I think to find time and space to be easy on yourself. I found that something really difficult to do, basically. Like, you teach yourself that the journey is the struggle and the journey has to be the struggle. And then if it's not the struggle, then it ain't worth it, you know. And in many ways that is true. And in many ways that allows you to achieve more and to, you know, to get to where you need to be. But at what cost and at what expense. And I feel like, especially in the really, really hard times, like that can kind of lead you to compartmentalising and suppressing and keeping calm and carrying on and stealing and hardening and all of that in a way that might be kind of useful in the short term, maybe even the medium, but can be really destructive in the long term. So that's definitely something that I still very much feel like I'm on the journey towards... And figuring it out to, how to find space and you know value for ways to be kind to myself, but um, I'd love to be, I'd love to have been able to make that kind of inter- intervention at a much earlier stage. So I definitely would tell my eighteen year old self that.
4: And finally, what would your younger eighteen year old self think of the journey you've been on and where you are now?
5: I think my 18 year old self would be I find it so hard to think like that. You know, I find it so hard to take myself out of myself and kind of like judge what it is. Cause it's always like when you, when you're living it, it's always so relative and no matter what you have done or haven't done, you always want to do more of that and do less of that, you know? So I find it really hard to kind of take stock in that way, but I'd like to think that he would be proud of, the man that he'd become more in terms of personality and character and I suppose yeah ethics than in terms of you know achievements or accolades because you know I suppose more I learn about the industry that I'm in the less kind of stock that I find myself able to put in those things but I think like being able to have gone through things that a lot of us have gone through and come out and still be able to like be kind to people or be able to have time for people or even be able to still be interested in people, I think is not insignificant. And yeah, I think my younger self would be proud of, yeah, the, the, the strength the strength of character of the man that he, he grew into. Well, at least I'd help you. I hope he would be.
3: Do you feel like that difficulty to take yourself out of self critical mind is literally the thing you were talking about before, which is being kind to yourself? It feels like it's a cycle of like.
5: You're completely right. There's an inbuilt kind of impediment that I think is connected to self preservation that convinces you not to like collect your own flowers or to, you know, articulate that. And it comes from a place of like, what if it never happens again? So don't like really kind of like lean yourself into the expectation of it because it might desert you at any any day or time. But like, you're right. I feel like, especially that guy that guy is looking looking to rate himself so <laughs> let me say that he would be proud of himself and let me also like yeah confront myself and my in in how difficult it is for me as a so called grown up like 31 year old man now to even be able to do that so thank you thank you for that mate because
3: Although he was a harsh judge. He was doing up business class as well. <laughs> <laughs> he was a harsh judge. He was like, business class was okay. Singapore wasn't saying much. <laughs> Two tinnies and business class. <laughs> he had standards, you know? So Andy. we don't know, actually. Maybe Andy. I overspoke. <laughs>
5: yeah. But Russian town was nice. So, you know. Swings around. Yeah. About. And
3: Aisha was paying, and the aunt wanted a piece of the
5: pea dog. Exactly. So he knows what he likes. <laughs>
3: yeah, thank you so much for joining us. That was incredible.
5: I feel so privileged to have been invited onto your show because I think it's brilliant. I've said this to you now before. I'm so inspired by the work that you guys do in your journalism. I just think it's just so A1 at all times. So it's, it's an absolute honour and privilege for, for me to be on this show. It means a lot to me.
4: Yeah, that was absolutely refreshing and wonderful to speak to Barbara. I don't know why the diary entry was just absolutely killing me. Even the way it's
3: written, it was just like, if you had to come up with a template for a diary entry and like the story, the, the setup, the narrative, the handwriting, the tar- everything was just like, to a T, just like diary vibes. Teen diary vibes. Honestly. Yeah,
4: oh my gosh. And definitely you could see how much like it was like a time capsule mm. for him and where he was in his life and that kind of how he sees himself kind of separately to yeah. the younger 18 year old version of him. You could really see him kind of digging into that. Yeah.
3: yeah, I think I respect everyone who comes on with an extract that they're really not looking forward to reading <laughs> and like either because they're embarrassed or yeah. because it's like <laughs> tackling something like uncomfortable. I think it makes for such interesting conversation and again it makes me like furious with 20 years of not writing a diary because I wish I wish (laughs) I could look at like 18 year old me before like a massive life event and see and just know if I shifted if any of those things happened to me you know it's so interesting and I think his ability to like reflect on that and like how far he's come but also how far he still has to go the growth yeah super Mm. super interesting
4: this has been an ii Studios production. Thank you so much for listening. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. You can sign up to become a member at gau-dem.com for access to exclusive discounts with our favourite brands and partners, early access to tickets for Gaudem events, an advanced copy of our annual print issue, and so much more.
3: Make sure you're following us on all major social media at gau zine for the latest independent news and culture. Or visit our online website, which is gal-dem.com.
4: Don't forget, if you love this episode of Growing Up With Gal Dem, be sure to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. We'll catch you on the next episode.
0: Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right.